Well, Bob, glad to be back. This is Ross and my friend Bob. Bob, I hope you've had a had a good week. Looking forward to chatting about some of the really interesting things that have been happening in the world in the past week and talk about how they relate to some of the things that you and I have been discussing, Christian theism, the direction of the world, the direction of our country. How you doing? I'm doing great, Ross, and, and I think there are a lot of things kind of popping on the national stage right now that really are directly uh, relevant to the things you and I are talking about related to worldview. You know, our, our show, the Worldview Matters show, is about the idea that Ideas have consequences. The way people look at the world around them, the way they interpret events that take place in history and in their lives, these are very, very important things. And some of the the conversations going on at local and national levels really are just right inside the wheelhouse of things you and I are are talking about these days. No doubt. And certainly this is not a political show. We want to stay away from the politics. I think it's hard to stay away from what we saw at the Democratic Convention this past week, though, because there were two core issues, and you and I have discussed this. But the core things that we saw there were, number one, there was a fight over whether God should be in the platform. And if you think back, regardless of the of what you saw in conventions in times past, and I, I go back into the fifties. I saw uh, a couple toward the end of the fifties myself, and even though you saw a lot of raucous things happen, you would have never seen God debated on the floor of any of those conventions as to whether God should be in that. Uh, platform or not, and then of course, as we've talked about, Jerusalem. Here is a here's an example of another thing where there was a debate over something very, very biblical, and it relates to Christian theism and Western culture's view of of theism. So, very, very interesting things that we saw there. Well, they are interesting, and, and, and again, you know, I don't think our, our agenda needs to include uh, whether or not we support one particular candidate or one particular party, but I do think it's incumbent upon us to talk about the fact that regardless of what political persuasion you are, regardless of, of what particular, particular religious or non-religious group you're a part of, that Western culture— has decidedly shifted its underpinnings of what constitutes reality in the last 300 years. It's almost, it's, I think our founding fathers would be amazed to realize that in our public debate, there is a, a raucous on the floor of one of our national political conventions about whether or not the phrase God-given potential should be included in the platform language. And that's amazing, Ross, because, you know, 300 years ago, Christian theism was still the reigning worldview of Western culture. And that has, that shifted. It shifted to the place now that we live in a postmodern culture. We live in a, in a time where many people, in fact, I think you could, if you were to poll most Americans, most Americans probably would say that they believe in God, but boy, when you start talking about what God they believe in, you're you're into a, 
a lot of differing opinions. Well, I think that uh, people usually will put at the end of a phrase when they talk about God, what, whoever your God may be, or whatever your God may be, or whoever you pray to. And the real issue is, are, are you serving a God? Are you praying to a God that has power? Then it takes you back to creation. And if you, if you believe in creation in any form, then you've got to say, if there are multiple gods, which one of them did the creation? Which one created the, the universe? So it's an illogical argument, I think, when you, uh, when you look at it on its face. And Ross, we've, we've talked before about, about one of the things that, that defines the parameters of what a worldview actually is, is there are these eight questions that everybody who who has a worldview needs to, and of course that is everybody. We all have a worldview, whether we, our worldview is, is uh, cogently formed or not. But there are these eight questions, and you just mentioned one or two of them in, in your last statement. Uh, question one is, what is prime reality? What, what really is real around us? Uh, what's the nature of the world? Is it stuff? Is it matter? Is there an invisible world alongside our visible world? What does it mean to be human? You know, what is it? Ha- what happens to us when we die? How do we know anything? Uh, what is the basis for morality? Is there a basis for right and wrong? And then, what's the meaning of history? Which, incidentally, w- gets back to one of the other debate questions of the Democratic platform: Is there a place for Jerusalem? Is there a place for the Jews in history? And then what core life commitments result from or are consistent with these worldviews? And, Ross, you and I are, are, uh, are always back and forth. We're sometimes not on the same side of the aisle about a lot of these things, but we do both agree, and we hope our listeners agree, that uh, ideas do indeed matter. And, and a, how people look at God and their view of God really does matter because our culture, Western civilization— was founded on a high view of God, whether it be Christian theism or Christian deism. The United States of America was formed and founded around the worldviews that surround the existence and the reality of God. And how we act is going to be determined by our worldview. In some cases, our worldview is going to be moderated by how we act, and and that's that's not not right because that means we assimilate ourselves to our action as opposed to making our actions conform to our belief system. But uh, you're, you're well, right on. You're bringing up a great point right now, something I really want to insert into our conversation uh, uh, over this show. That, you know, we, we made the point that until the mid-1600s to early 1700s, uh, Christian theism was the predominant worldview of Western culture. And since that time, uh, our, our culture has steadily declined. And I, I would like to suggest for you, Ross, and our listeners, I, I believe that there are three reasons for a decline of a high view of God to now a public discussion that doesn't even want to include the name of God on one of our major our major political platforms. And I, I think that those reasons really center on, on these three points. For, first of all, 
I believe that there's been a failure among Christians to consistently live out the core life commitments that should result from their worldview. Now, I'm going to start with that one. And Ross, you and I admittedly are Christian theists. You and I are believers. And so this is, this is what I believe what we need to do to say, hey, look, we're going to start by taking the beam out of our own eye. The church and Christians in general have largely in many in time past and in current in current uh, days have not always consistently lived out our core life commitments. That's question number eight, Ross. And let me stop right there before I mention the other two and get your feedback on that one. Well, I think you're exactly right. If, if we don't fess up and say we don't live totally by our own stated worldview, then we're being disingenuous with ourselves and everyone else. Now, I will have to admit that my wife, I, I get very upset at poor service and people who don't really care. I, I guess having my own business, I am so focused on uh, people living, doing things in an excellent manner and and contributing to the success of the company and what have you, that when I see someone with a lackadaisical attitude, I have a tendency to react to that. And my wife reminds me that uh, we may be the only Bible that someone reads and make sure that if uh, if they do read it, that they've read read it correctly. So I'm, I'm dead with you on that point. Well, I really believe that you can sort out these inconsistencies really in, in sort of two formats. I think there are micro inconsistencies. And you made a good point. I mean, uh, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians and they don't act Christian. My daddy used to have a saying, the reason he didn't hang out with Christians was because he'd already hung out with Christians. And uh, we all laughed about it. But the fact is, it's to your point that many times at a at an individual level, at a micro level, Christians aren't always consistent with what they believe. And we can talk about that as we go forward. But I think also at a macro level, at the, at the level of ideologies and theologies and philosophies, I mean, Christians have squabbled throughout the ages. In fact, I believe it was some of the squabbles of, among Christians that led to the decline in theism and the, the emergence of Christian deism. Well, I think Barna has done a, he does surveys, I think, every week. But in a recent survey, he indicated, I believe, that less than 50% of those people in, in theistic, uh, Christian theistic churches believe that truth is absolute. Now, there is a, that is a basic tenet of Christian theism that is, uh, it's hard to b- understand how people would uh, not believe that. And that's not just a recent debate, Ross. I mean, deism actually emerged back in the mid-1600s because Christians couldn't agree on how we know truth. There were yeah. some Christians who believed that special revelation was part of the, needed to be part of the debate. Others said, no, God only revealed himself through general revelation, through what he had made. And there was a lot of uh, we call them now family squabbles, but the culture at large began to struggle with that, and it opened the door for uh, philosophers like John Locke to come along and say, hey, maybe reason needs to be the primary basis for how we know things, and that debate is still continuing to this day. 
Mm, interesting. You know, an, another debate that was going on back in the mid-1600s, the late 1600s, was what is the nature of the universe? There were many, many Christians who, uh, who, went, who had more of an Aristotelian view of the oh, world. Oh, mercy. Sorry, buddy. Aristotle. That's an old Greek guy. Oh, Aristotelian. Yeah. Okay. That wasn't, the, that wasn't the manager on the East High football team. This was the Greek philosopher from back in the day. But, you know, Aristotle believed there were these two basic views of the world. There was a material world and there was an invisible, immaterial world. And there was a lot of debate among Christians about that. And that opened, again, opened the door for people to say, hey, look, does it really matter that much? And, of course, it really does matter. I think a third one, and this is still a big one today is it, how does man operate in a universe where God is totally sovereign? And that, that you have to realize now that Christian theism taught that God was totally sovereign over his universe. And uh, where does, what's man's role in that? Of course, you know, that's still going on today in some of the theological debates uh, among, among evangelicals. You know, is, is man's will free or uh, is man's will not free? We could talk about that in, on, at another another program. But those macro debates, Ross, open the door for people to begin to wonder: Is the church always right about all the things it claims to be right about? And don't even get me started talking about how the church has been wrong about scientific issues. Well, you know the point that you made there about. The sovereignty of God, uh, the fight among Christian deists—I mean, Christian theists—and a move to deism. Uh, it gets into some of the passages in Romans about predestination, and if uh, if God if God knows or if God has preordained, then of what use is prayer? So you see a lot of there are a lot of things in there which which prompt discussion at least. Well, and, and some of those things are the, the very nature of an invitation from God for man to inquire and search and seek things out. There's a passage in the book of Proverbs from the Jewish uh, writings that said it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings, leaders, to search out a matter. And, of course, that was the basis for the whole scientific movement. Uh, people believe, theists believe that God did create the world and there was room in the world he created for men to search and discover things. And the whole basis of modern science and technology in this great world that we live in stemmed out of a high view of a God who created a world that was orderly. So th these aren't all bad discussions. They're important discussions that need to be had and they lead to greater understanding of how God's world works. Well, you know, that passage would, would lead one to the logical conclusion that by seeking out what God has hidden, that science will prove the existence of God, the reality of God, the truth of God's creation, the way that things hold together, so that science is not going to disprove it, it's going to prove it. I really appreciate you saying that because, you know, a minute ago we talked about, from my, my estimation and way, my opinion, I think there are three big reasons. There's lots and lots of reasons for the debate that's brought us from Christian theism 
to our current postmodernism. But I, I really want to mention the other two. I talked about the fact that Christians and the church have really lived inconsistently, which has opened almost a can of worms for a public debate to begin to question the veracity of Christian theism. But there's a second reason that I hope we can talk about, maybe not completely in this show, but in future shows, that also led to the decline of theism. And that's this, that there is an, an inherent bias against God among mankind. Uh, this is classic Christian theism 101, that uh, since the creation of the world, since the Garden of Eden, uh, mankind has rebelled against the Creator. Uh, and as a result, all men, all descendants of Adam, have inherent in us a nature that says, me first. Uh, scripture calls this sin. But this bias against God, this, uh, this leaning toward wanting to create a kingdom where I, you and I, each one of us individually, are the ruler of our own lives, this also sets up a willingness to move away from Christian theism where God is ruler. Well, that's the fall of, um, the fall of man. That's what, so, when Lucifer fell, that's exactly what the beginning was. And we've been no different. And that's the reason that Jesus came. Well, I appreciate you mentioning Lucifer because that really is the third reason, I think, behind this decline uh, that's caused us to arrive where we are today. Uh, Christians have failed to live consistently. Man is biased against God. And thirdly, and boy, this sounds, this sounds almost incredible every time I say this, in that there is a deception going on. There is a cloaking device, if you will, taking place in the world today. The scriptures say that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. When Lucifer fell, his agenda was to take mankind down with him and so to destroy the kingdom of God. Now, every time, you know, when we say things like that in a, in a modern culture that's, whose faith is in materialism, that sounds almost like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Well, it does, but if you believe in a spirit world, then things are happening that are not visible to, to the naked eye, but they're happening just, just the same and probably even more strongly. So I guess from coming from a Christian theistic worldview, where I do believe in, in things that happen behind and, and spiritual things and not just the concrete things that you see. I have no problem believing that, of course. Well, I think, I think that our listeners need to, if I could summarize again, uh, our listeners need to, need to consider, I'd like for them to consider anyway, that there are these three big uh, under, underlying uh, reasons uh, watershed reasons for wh why we have arrived where we have today. Uh, there's been a failure of Christians to live out their Christian theistic worldview, and that's opened the door for criticism. There's been a bias and remains a bias against God. If you watched any of the footage on any of our national debates, 
you, you see people saying, you know, we really don't want God to rule us. We don't want, we don't like that idea. And the third thing is behind all the visible, the visible debate, there's an invisible agenda, Ross. There's this idea that there's a, a spirit realm that is angry at God, trying to throw off the rule of God in the heavenly places, and they want to bring that rebellion down to earth, and it, it is on earth. And, uh, you know, going back to uh, the, the end of history, you know, Christian theism teaches that there will be a great battle at the end of history where evil is finally defeated. But we're not there yet, but we could be arriving closer and closer every day to that moment. Those are some uh, pretty deep things to consider, but I think you've done a great job of uh, making them clear, and I think you're exactly right. Anybody who has seen the things going on in our country today uh, would have a hard time refuting what you've said. I, I know this is tangential to what we're talking about, but did you see where the pastor in Iran after three years of incarceration, was released uh, this past week. I did see that. That was incredible. That, yeah. was, that was an amazing, you know, I think a lot of people would say that was miraculous for that to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Ross, in, in our, I know we're just about out of time with this program, but, you know, in, in, in our future programs, I would like for us to come back and look at these three reasons for the decline of theism, and uh, that's brought us to a postmodern culture. We've talked about what postmodernism in some of our former shows, but I'd like to go back and, and look at, as it comes up, these three things, how Christians many times don't live consistently with their worldview, how there is a bias against God by mankind, and how there's this invisible agenda that's trying to leverage people, and I would also add nation states away from the rule of Christ that's coming on the earth. Well, we see a very strong polarization taking place, I think, in our country relative to uh, theistic, uh, Christian theistic worldview. And don't want to bring politics into it, but you can look at the difference in the way that the parties approach Christianity, the, the view of a, a Christian worldview. Well, uh, to I see think one thing, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you, I apologize. Okay. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I think one thing we do need to say, this is not meant to be a political statement, and I think it's apolitical in that it applies to all political parties. One of the, one of the, the things that's natural to being a politician in a world that's biased against God is that it's easy to fall into the trap of wanting more and more and more power. Now, people who want more and more power excuse themselves into thinking that I want this power so I can do something good with it. And I think that there are many, there are many statesmen still in political life that do indeed use their power to do good. But there's an insidious a hook buried in a political lifestyle that says uh, power for its own sake can be incredibly addictive. And I think that's true of people on both sides of the aisle. And so we need to ad admonish each other 
that you know, we need to surrender power to the one who claims to have and who indeed does have all power and live our lives for him and not for ourselves. Wow. Now that brings uh, something into the political realm that I think probably should, no, I know should be there in everyone's mind, especially if you have a Christian worldview. And that is, what is what's the spiritual nature of what's going on from a political standpoint today? And well, how does that play into the life of our country? You know, Bob, in the, in the last few minutes here, we have three or four minutes left. I'd like for you to, to just remind the listeners of the eight points of uh, the, the vetting system, the filtration system through which you establish a worldview. What is a worldview? I know I have always said the four basic points are you, everybody wants to know where did I come from? Is there a set of rules I should live by? Is there meaning to my life and is there a purpose in my life? And where am I going when I die? Now, there's an expansion of that and a more uh, theological look at that that these eight points cover. But those four points are covered in the eight that you're talking about. So if you don't mind just to run over those for the listeners at the, right here at the end of the show, I think it'd be a great, uh, great reminder. I'll be glad to do this, and I want to give credit where credit is due. Professor James W. Sire, who wrote the book on the study of worldviews for all Christian colleges, really all, all colleges and universities, was the first one to develop these eight. But he encapsulates it in this way. The first one is, what is prime reality? What is really real? The second one, what is the nature of the world around us? Is it created? Is it accidental? Is it material, immaterial, whatever? The third one is, what does it mean to be human? Are we just advanced apes? Are we complex machines? Are we sons of God? Whatever. A question four is, what happens when we die? Do we go to a better place? Do we cease to exist? Are we reincarnated? Question five is, how do we know anything? What is the basis of consciousness and reason? Question six is, what is right and wrong? Of course, this gets into ethics, morality, consequences, and choices. Basically, what it, how do we write our laws? Uh, question number seven is, what is the meaning of history? Is, are we moving toward some kind of a climax, or is it cyclical? And the question number eight is, what core life commitments are consistent with that particular worldview? If I really believe a worldview, what difference will it make in the way I actually live? Wow. Great point, uh end on Bob come back next week we're going to be continually talking about things that happen are happening today in the world this has to be it has to be significant in terms of what's happening today or it's insignificant relative to the entirety of history and and even though we talked about the 16th and 17th century today it is just as up-to-date as the headlines on today's newspaper or the flash that comes across the TV. So we're not talking about something that's ancient. We're talking about something that has existed forever and will continue to exist forever. And how we live relative to these views is critically important. Bob, thanks so much for enlightening all of us and uh, making something understandable out of something very complex. You know, it takes a smart person to take something difficult and make it easy or take something complex and make it easy to understand. 
you're great at doing that. Uh, I appreciate your ability to do that, that God-given ability that you've developed so well. And I'm glad you're my friend and look forward to being with you next week. Well, you're gracious, Ross. Ideas do have consequences and worldview matters. Amen. See you next week. You too, buddy.